I feel like a bit of a cheeky monkey <laughs> after a couple of cheeky monkeys. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Barrel Podcast. Namu here with you and we have T-Bone joining us in the, well it's not the share quarters today but it's another venue. We have a very special guest joining us in the studio today and his name is Brett Canellan. That's how you pronounce it, isn't it Brett? Yeah, it is. It is. I've had a couple of conversations in the last week of how to pronounce it properly and everyone does it differently but you, you nailed it there so congratulations. Awesome. So where are you today, Brett, and uh, what's sort of happening? Um, so I live over on the East Coast. Um, I live in a town called Kiama. Uh, so my days at the moment, I was just talking to a mate this morning, are, are all kind of blending into one. We're, uh, we're in a collection of, of lockdowns, but where I usually work is in lockdown and where I live is like 800 metres from the border. So I have a, a pretty normal life and can do a lot of things the same, but... Uh, I can't work or can't go into the office, so I've just been doing a bit of work from home and every day seems to just be <laughs> blending into one at the moment. But um, lucky, I suppose lucky to, to be where I am, but I mean, the day's been all right so far. Now, being in the, the lockdown situation that you, you sort of find yourself in, are you, are you able to go surfing? Yeah, yeah. So you can surf. Surf is normal, um, but the problem with that is it's just been flat for like the past three weeks, like hardly, hardly breaking. So... It's um well well timed. Oh damn, that sucks about the swell. Uh, so how old were you when you started surfing, Brett? Um, yeah, so I started surfing when I was eleven years old. Um, which you know these days is pretty late to get on the board. I was I was on the bodyboard before then, um, regrettably. Uh, but um, yeah, that's it. But dad dad got me on the on the surfboard just one day when we we're down the coast here at Bendalong, and uh, you know from that day. You know, I'd, I'd always been pretty good in, in the water, so all of the ocean knowledge and everything there kind of came to me pretty easily. It was just kind of the progression in surfing, which I, I really, really enjoyed, and kind of the challenge that surfing provided over, you know, bodyboarding was was something I, I really enjoyed as well. And you know, surfing for me, I suppose, growing up in a a smallish town, um, I don't know, it probably depends on what you compare it to, but there was a a few people that surfed, but a lot of them were, were older than me. Uh, like a lot of my friends that, that I was kind of surfing with were a bit older. And, you know, as far as people my age, it was really only myself and my good friend Nick as we were growing up that that were kind of doing competitions and, and doing all right with it. But surfing for me has always, you know, f- basically from that day when I first stepped on a, on a board at the age of 11 was something that I knew, I knew it was for me and I you know, like most young kids had a dream of, you know, trying to chase the the tour, trying to make something of a career there. And, and for me, that kind of, you know, unfolded over the next, you know, 11 or so years um, to the point of, like you said, you know, my story where, where it really started, um, which is an interesting thing in itself. But, you know, for me, up until that point, everything was just surfing. Um you know, competitively on the East Coast, we're lucky to have a lot of competitions, especially, you know, in the juniors and, and everything like that. Um, and, you know, the I suppose the surf industry over here is, is still pretty strong too. Um, like I always had, you know, work in surfing, like whether it be a surf coach or, you know, managing a surf shop. Like for, for me, I suppose the 
to answer your question, you know, my life has always been in surfing. Like that, that for me has always been such a, a big part of it. Like probably most of the people that you talk to on, on this podcast. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people can really relate to, to that story of what surfing actually means when it, when it does come into your life and, and how important it can be. Um, you know, without without naming any breaks, what's what sort of type of breaks do you get in your in your area? What do you mainly beaches, reefs? Um, mainly beach breaks um, around here. Like in in Kiama, there's sort of four main beaches. Um, you know, within fifteen k's of each other. Um, there's a few reefs and and that here and there, but it's the type of place where there's always kind of a there's always a setup you know for most conditions like if it's blowing northerly like it is today there's a couple little protected corners if it's southerly there's there's something if it's small there's a couple of little magnets and if it's big you can you can drive you know 15 20 minutes and find some reefs that can handle that so like pretty pretty well rounded um the only problem with you know the surf over here and something that um my uncle who lives in south australia you know comments on all the time he's like does the swell period ever get above six seconds (laughs) which (laughs) It honestly hardly hardly does. Wow. So, you know, you're kind of dealing with those smaller beach break conditions for a majority of the time. So just on the, you mentioned about the, the, the competitive surfing, Brett, um, do you sort of did follow the Junior Series or when, when did you sort of start and uh, where were the, some of the, um, the beaches you used to compete in, mainly on the East Coast or did you ever come over west? Um, mainly on the East Coast, yeah. Like, ah. Uh, I always felt like I was a little bit late with a lot of things with my surfing, like in, you know, not only from when I started, but when I actually started developing and getting a little bit better. Like for me, I picked up the basics and became a, a pretty decent surfer, like, you know, by the age of 14. But then, you know, by the age of 14, you've only really got two years before the junior comps are finished and you're trying to work out how to actually surf a heat. And I always struggled, you know, competitively. So that, like I'd always, because I started later, had that like young surfer kind of froth like it's your first surf every time you paddle out so heats didn't really suit me at the start because i just wanted to catch everything and and you know go a million miles an hour and that doesn't translate to heats so by the time the junior series like the under 16s had finished i was kind of like i still really really enjoyed the sport but hadn't figured out competitive surfing yet and it didn't it wasn't because i didn't have really great results i didn't go straight into the pro juniors and at that time there wasn't really it was when the pro juniors really fell off. There was three events per year, and two of them were in Tahiti. <laughs> so I only ever surfed in in one pro junior, and like that's kind of getting to the point where you're finishing school. And I was trying to focus on you know getting uh, some good marks at school, just you know depending on on what happened later on. Had like you know results here and there, mostly local. Um, but after I finished uni and kind of got you know a bit of direction in life, I. I sat down and I'd kind of reached a point where not only my surfing ability had improved, but you know I'd actually got a lot smarter and, and worked out a few things about heats and it started translating into a few results. Oh, um, nice. I got a couple of good results just in some comps over here on, on the East Coast and uh, in particular, probably like one of my best you know competition results wasn't even a an individual comp was probably in the board riders battle which you know a lot of people are, are pretty familiar with if you're in a board riders club um like my local board riders club jones beach is a, a small club like we've we've never really achieved a whole heap and 
Um, we were lucky enough to to win our uh, regional qualifier and went on to come sixth in the final, which for us was huge. You know, we member base like at its height was probably like a hundred people, um, and that was like that's massive compared to what it was when I was growing up. Like when I was growing up, there was sort of like 25, 30 people showing up to a board riders and like super, super old school, which was good because everyone was really close. And I think that's the good thing about having a small board riders club. But yeah, to achieve that was, was pretty incredible for, for the club, but also for me at that point where I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, I was able to not only like get these results for my board riders club, but I felt really competitive and I felt like I, I got to surf against some of, you know, my, you know, people I'd looked up to competitively for a long time and, and, you know, free surfers that I'd looked up to a long, for a long time as well that I was able to surf against and, and beat as well. And it kind of sparked a little bit more interest in me where I was like, maybe I want to actually give the, the QS a bit of a crack. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that point where I was like, all right, I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket take a bit of time off work, focus on trying to chase the QS and kind of, you know, go, go with a personal trainer, um, did a bit of surf coaching, tried to get everything sorted to give myself the best chance of that. And I hadn't even surfed in in one QS event. Well, I, I surfed in one before I'd made this decision when I was actually feeling okay about it, but not since I'd actually said, let's give this proper crack. Because um, that was in late 2015 that i had all those um you know decent sort of local results that made me want to pursue the qs and it was early 2016 march 2016 uh where you know my life changed pretty dramatically the documentary that you've got coming out what's it called is it it's it's uh yeah i'll I'll explain the title for you first because it kind of goes into the story a bit so it's um it's called pyrophytic so a pyrophyte is a plant um, or you know a tree that requires fire in order to germinate and regrow. So it was a pretty uh, meaningful title for me and, and sort of what I've been through because it does really you know when I look back on my story, I went through you know a really tough time as a result of you know what happened on, on one particular day and a lot of people look at that as a, a disastrous thing to happen and you know, the loss of, of a lot of things. But for me, it was kind of the rebirth of, of myself as not only, you know, a person, but, you know, a surfer, uh, you know, that my entire life, it really shifted. Um, and for me, that, that event was, was the day I got attacked by a shark. So that was the, the 30th of March, 2016, um, you know, 11 years after I started surfing, as I said, was, was all that time building up this purpose and identity as a surfer. And, um, to be attacked by a shark to the point of, you know, nearly losing my own life. Um, lucky enough to have, you know, people there with me in the water to, to save my life on that day. But um, a lot of luck went in my way as far as, you know, not only being able to escape that day with my life, but to be able to eventually escape with my leg um, and be left in a situation where, you know, as a result of the shark attack, I lost three quarters of my left quad, and that's why I say there was the I was lucky to keep my leg. So, um, losing that much of your leg is quite a significant injury, as as anyone you know will, will tell you. And that for me led to the doctors saying, well, because of that, you know, walking is going to be you know incredibly challenging from here on out. You'll probably be on in a wheelchair or on crutches for a long period of time. Best case scenario, you'll probably have a a little device on your knee that straightens your leg out as you move forward 
They said, you know, being active because you're not going to be able to walk is going to be even more of a challenge. And they said, you'll never surf again. Yep. So for me, that that was really the the fire, I suppose. Um, that was my entire world, my my purpose and identity that I'd spent, you know, that 11 years building up, getting completely taken away from me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for me in that moment, it was tough. Um, it was tough not only physically, but it was tough mentally to, to deal with that. Like I, I'd never really been through any sort of major challenges up until that point in life. Like I'd had injuries and, and small setbacks, but nothing as dramatic as that. And I think it's easy to look at a situation like that and, you know, take the the victim card and say, you know, I can't believe this has happened to me. Look at the odds of being attacked by a shark and say, it's just so incredibly unlucky. And it's understandable for someone to have that that outlook. But for me, what kind of came after that through through the recovery, through everything I've been able to do since is, you know, and relating back to your question about the title of the movie is kind of the the regrowing of, of who I am as a person and being able to, to take a lot more into other aspects of my life, which are, you know, have, have come to the forefront and provided me with a new purpose and a, a new identity that I, I try and live with every single day now. Now, can you give us a bit of a um, the lead up to obviously the the attack? What what were the conditions like? What, what was the day? Anything sort of in particular happening? Or yeah, I can remember. I think that's a question I get asked a lot. Um, I can remember all the details, not only you know about sort of the day, but about the attack as well, um, which I think is good for me. Not only being able to tell the story, but there's nothing that's in the back of my mind that can kind of pop up and, and, you know, scare me or, or, you know, make me feel overwhelmed because I do talk about it quite a lot and I do have very vivid memories. Um, one of the biggest things about that day was, um, for me, it actually started at 2 a.m. Um, I had a phone call from uh, my boss at the surf shop that I was, I was still managing at the time and he actually had called me just to tell me that the shop had been broken into. So that was the start of my day was 2 a.m., you know, didn't have to go, didn't have to go to work, but, you know, he was just kind of preparing me for, you know, what was to come during the day, which is dealing with police, cleaning up the shop, doing all that sort of stuff. So, you know, not, not your average day as far as, you know, what had gone on through it, but, you know, a pretty average day to say, you know, the least. So the reason I actually went surfing that afternoon is because I I had a, a pretty shitty day and I was like, I want to try and wash this off as best as I can. So surfing is, you know, how we all do that really it's it's a lot of people's happy place and and for me going for a surf that afternoon was for the sole purpose of trying to you know right the the wrongs of that day and to to get me back on an even keel um and i'd only been surfing for about 45 minutes um before it actually happened um for me it is actually like i say i got a very vivid memory like i can even remember what i was thinking of right before i actually got hit by the shark for the first time because you know, I was actually reflecting on the day that I'd just had, like thinking back to the 2 a.m. phone call and and saying to myself, you know, it has been a pretty average day, but at least, you know, at the end of it, I've been able to come for a surf. It's It's been pretty fun, you know, enjoying it out here. I was actually like looking over, we've got a mountain in the background of um, of the, the town here called Saddleback Mountain. I was looking, you know, directly over the top of that and the sun was kind of just starting to set behind some clouds there when I got hit by my right side by what felt like a, a bus um and before even realizing what had happened like i'd been hit thrown off my board 
And before I'd actually realized, you know, looked around and tried to, you know, gauge the situation, I looked down and the shark's biting my leg. Which, for me, this moment is, you know, one where time definitely stood still. Um, for me, this moment stood so still because, you know, fight, flight or freeze, I was definitely frozen. Um, and so many parts of me were frozen, like my thoughts, my actions, like so many I think that time slowing down is a result of all that adrenaline release to try and, you know, numb the pain. And I think a lot of people who do go through massive traumas can experience that feeling as well and can recount it. But the the crazy thing about that moment is you can actually take in so much information that you might not be consciously acting on. But for me, when I reflect on it, I can remember like the feel of the shark's skin, like as I was trying to push away, the fact that there's no noise, even though I know I was shouting for help, like... That's something that, that surprises me, even down to like the look in the shark's eyes as I'm looking down at it, biting my leg. So these very fine details are what forms my very vivid recollection of, of what happened there. Um, and, you know, what's what's next after, you, you know, you, you, you're frozen in fight, flight or freeze. You've got to choose either fight or flight. And fight didn't work for me because you can't punch through water. So flight seemed like the only option I had left. Um and that, you know, that's one thing I think a lot of people forget is that you can't punch through water. Like, it sounds so perfect until you try and do it. Um, Not everyone's Mick Fanning, right? But, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but that left me just with with flight. So I tried to get away from it um, while it was still holding my leg, uh, which, you know, I think a lot of people will, will tell you, you know, as humans we are pretty fragile. And when a shark does have a hold of your leg and you pull away from it, it doesn't just let go. Um, it holds onto your leg and, and it just separated a large chunk of my, my quad from my body there. Yeah, so it just, just had its its jaws just on, on my leg and it was moving me around a little bit in the water, um, but I was trying, I was kind of, you know, holding onto it as well, like with my hands, um, like on its, on its nose because I was like, I was frozen. Like I, I had no real plan of attack there. It was all just based on instinct, but... You know, in pulling away from the shark, it separating that chunk of, of my leg, I suppose the good thing was I was no longer being bitten by a shark in a strange way. So I could focus on trying to actually swim to the beach. Um, and I'd only swum in for 10 or 15 meters when I had kind of this thought wash over me of, you know, I wonder if the shark's going to come back a second time. And it's a good thing I had that thought because it allowed me to look over my right shoulder just in time to see it coming back. And I was able to put my hands out, you know, just in time to try my best um you know as best as you can in that situation to stop it Um, my right hand landed on its nose my left hand actually fell into its mouth but i was able to pull it out just in time before it bit down and at that moment i i thought i was done like it was it was swimming at me so i was i was holding it at arm's length and feeling that power as it was pushing me through the water was incredible like in that moment it actually gave me a a strange respect for sharks and how good they are, what they do, and how powerful and you know how magnificent they are, just as creatures. Like I don't think a lot of people necessarily appreciate that because they just look at the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't look at how strong and how powerful. And like there's a reason why they've been around for thousands of years. It's because they're really good at doing what they do. It was just I was unlucky to be in the position I was to find it, find that out. It wasn't until the next wave actually hit us um, that it separated us underwater and, um, you know, that's where I actually got pushed in far enough to the point where I could stand up and it was about waist deep in water and 
at that point I I didn't didn't have any more thoughts about the shark coming because I thought if it comes back another time there's no way I'm going to be able to fight it off but I was lucky that this time when I looked up uh, my best mate Joel was actually paddling towards me as as fast as he could which is a much better sight than looking up and seeing yeah, a shark definitely. come back another time yeah hey, Brett, what type of shark was it I don't think we great white was it or so on on the record it's a great white um they there's a story around that as well um one that i didn't share for a while because i wasn't sure if it was entirely legal what i did <laughs> um so when i when i woke up in hospital uh they came to me um like the department of primary industries uh they they sent they didn't come to me directly but they'd talked to my family and said um, you know based on what the doctors can sort of look at we've had a look at how big the bite mark is and we can kind of see that it looks a bit characteristic of a, a great white they said if if it's anything else let us know because if it's a tiger or a bull we can go and hunt it for me i knew it was a bull um i knew it was a bull because when i was putting my hands on its nose like they could both fit on it it didn't have the pointed nose like a, a great white does and the fact that it came back a second time so i i didn't feel like i you know at the time you know getting revenge on a shark wasn't going to do anything for my situation and it's just not the type of person i am so i said to him yeah it's a it's a great white so you'll find in all the news stories and you know on the the record it's recorded as a great white but it was actually right. a bull shark Top of my head. yeah definitely so i think um i don't know i, I look back and like i said I'd, I'd never really felt the need to share that part of the story but i think it's you know, the, the more I go on and like every time there's a shark attack, I always get contacted by by someone saying like, oh, how do you feel about this? Like, do we need to cull sharks and, and all of that? And I've always firmly been in the camp of respecting sharks and knowing that it's their environment. And I know that's not everybody's point of view, um, but it's mine. And like for me, I've always always appreciated sharks for what they are and, and never, never wanted to you know, see them be cold or, or, you know, that negative perception of them, I think is, is something that is just perpetuated a lot of the times by media, um, in the way that, you know, I, I realized that I suppose sharing the fact that if someone who's been bitten by a shark can look at this situation and, and not find hate towards sharks, maybe that might help other people see, see it in the same light. Hey, I did have a question. Um, it's, it sounds clear what your uh, view is on, on, on great whites. Um, what was the local sentiment, you know, with the locals in the area following want blood, or they were in the same sort of uh, opinion? Respect what's in the ocean. Um, yeah. Over, overall, I think it was it was more on the side that you know the point of view that I had. Um, like, there's there's no point going out and harming sharks because they've they've bitten a human. Like, I think from some of the conversations i had actually like a lot of people like like when anything happens a lot of people try and justify so i heard everything about you know the fact that you know the water's been overfished and and sharks coming in closer and it's you know it's our fault in the first place and i don't know the the reason for for why those things happen like I, i'm not the scientist myself but i've i've heard a lot of of that side of things and you know probably more of the things i heard overwhelmingly overwhelmingly were in support of sort of what i was saying like i still talk to people that will say like they you know they've got kids that surf and you know they they feel unsafe for their kids being in the water and they'd rather they not be sharks and look i'm not a parent so i can't see eye to eye on that but i can i can certainly appreciate where they're coming from like 
seeing that happen to someone that you love and someone that you care about is is something that you know no one wants to go through like for me my entire experience was kind of highlighted by you know that that phone call you know that that phone call that my parents received like that my friends my family received and how terrible that is and as a parent i don't think you want to receive that either so i can i can see where both sides come from but i you know as as someone who's been in the position of being bitten by a shark you know i I think i'm i'm comfortable with where i stand on it as well yeah fair enough one thing that i can imagine would be very very tough obviously on on your family how how are your parents um dealing with with things now uh have they sort of come to terms with it themselves are they they're going okay um yeah they're at peace my my whole family surf so they they and have always been in and around the ocean and from you know the conversations I've had with them, they're they're the same. Like as a surfer, you kind of know the risks of of going in the water, like the same as you do when you go in the car. Um, for them to actually deal with, you know, my experience, it was it was a little bit different though. Like this is something that I learnt a little bit later through my recovery. Is like I, I felt pretty isolated and alone in what I was going through, which caused me to really kind of struggle. Like I said, mentally. Um, you know, feeling like I was the only person that got attacked by a shark, feeling isolated, you know, being in hospital by myself and feeling, you know, statistically isolated as well. It was easy for me to have that victim mentality early on and I didn't actually look at how it was affecting my family until my dad actually pointed it out for me and, and kind of, you know, pointed out how it was, it was just as tough for them to deal with as it was for me. And that's because, you know, it's them trying to support me, them trying to support each other dealing with, things like the media and and trying to help me in hospital and talk to doctors and and do all those things and and when I kind of got that perspective I got to see things from a bit of a different angle which helped me not only you know work through it myself but to have a bit more empathy for what they were going through as well and like you said when when families are more involved it, it is it is a completely different light that you look at it in um and you know I think for for me that was kind of the big turning point in looking at my situation is not just mine it was it was theirs as well unfortunately one of our good friends Namu and i's good friends got killed in 2004 which i actually witnessed the attack i know how i have felt since that attack and getting back in the water but i'd love to hear your experiences mentally yeah look for me that was that was a process and like one one thing that i had throughout a lot of my recovery was a lot of gratitude for the fact that I was alive and how things could have been very different. Like in and around my attack, there was another young guy up north who had a, a sim- very similar attack to mine and, and he was lucky to, to live. And then shortly after mine, there was a guy over in WA um, who was uh, you know, a, a, a lot more unfortunate and, and passed away. So... I think having those events around the the time of mine gave me a lot of gratitude, just the fact that I was still breathing. Um, you know, a lot of luck went into that. Like the the shark was m- like a millimeter away from my femoral artery, and you know, if if that was to um, be damaged in any way, I wouldn't have even made yeah. it to the beach. And like, I think all those thoughts as you're going through recovery, uh hard to deal with and hard to gain perspective on until you actually get to the point where you 
have the option to go back in the water because it wasn't something I thought about until the day my physio said, you know, it's time to go back in the water, which which was a lot further down the track. Like for me, from, you know, the, the day I woke up in hospital, especially when the doctor said I would never surf again, it was never really a question. Like I, I never really thought about going back in the water yet. And as I tracked through my recovery and, you know, was able to start walking again and, and you know, made progress there and was able to start running and, and gain back more function and, and just have like a basic quality of life. It wasn't until then that I kind of started looking a little bit more at surfing and I had, you know, a bit of a goal from, you know, from my physio that he said that he wanted to see me back in the water, but I didn't necessarily, you know, I didn't believe that was possible until a little bit later on when I started, you know, seeing more of these positive outcomes and, and you know, getting a bit more function in my leg and, and being able to start using it a bit more. And it was like, I actually interviewed my, my physio just last weekend for the documentary and I asked him the question about like, how did you know it was time for me to get back in the water? And, and he said for him, it was even, you know, an unknown. So because I didn't have any expectations on when it was going to happen or what it was going to be like, it kind of took me by surprise. And I think that was a good thing because it didn't allow me to kind of get in my head too much and think about how I was supposed to feel. Because I think a lot of people expect you to to feel like you, you know, you, you're going to be scared and, and you're going to be terrified of going back in the water. And it's you know a perfectly reasonable way to feel. Um, and... I can remember so many people saying to me like, oh, you'll be good good to go back in the water. What's the chance of it happening twice? <laughs> Which, you know, when you look at things rationally, like makes total sense. And until my my auntie who lives in um who lives in South Australia and she surfed down there for years and years and she was telling me about someone down there that got bitten twice and that scared the shit out of me. And then she said, and he ended up dying oh, in a car shit. crash. And for me, having that perspective, I was like, Well, okay. You know, you can be afraid of, of one thing where if you look at the numbers and, and say, you know, it is, you know, you're definitely more more likely to, to die in a car crash, like looking at the statistics. But I think when it's hard to be rational about something that's so primitive and so emotional like mm-hmm. a shark attack, like that, that fear is something that does over, overtake you a lot and you, you do you don't necessarily see eye to eye with, with, you know, rationale there. So it wasn't really until I just got in the water, didn't really think about it and kind of got to reflect on it. And it wasn't until further down the track, like when I was surfing a little bit more often and I found myself sitting out there one day and actually felt like a little bit vulnerable in the water, like in a way that I'd, I'd felt before, like when, when I'd grown up surfing, like when you're just sitting out there by yourself, like it's getting late, it's getting dark. And like I'd always told myself when I was younger, like, oh, it's fine. Like, it'll be good. Whereas now I think, and from that moment where I had that first feeling, I, I've had to just be a bit more comfortable with saying, well, if you don't feel comfortable being out here, then just paddle in. Like, And, and that's probably been one of the bigger changes to me is just listening to my own sort of rational fears on on that like even though the odds are against me i still feel just as comfortable paddling in and and i think that's something that you know even today like you say it's that process of just getting back in the water it's not like you just get back in the water and forget about it it's something that you you have to think about every time mm-hmm. you go in there 
And that's something a lot of surfers do, not just, you know, ones who have had, you know, incidents with sharks, but surfers every single day they get in the water, I think, have to have to deal with that sort of rationale. So, um, you know, when you when you started to first get back in the water, were you sort of ironing out who was out in the surf? Were, were you sitting in the inside or what, 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 was, what was going through your mind those first couple of surfs back? Um, the, my, my very first surf back, I went to Seven Mile Beach, which is down in Jarrowa here, and it's basically just a seven-mile bay. So I, I think it's probably one of the safer places as far as, where sharks can actually go because it's got a very like two heaps easterly points on each like um each end of the bay so i i stuck to you know surfing waves like that for a while partly because it felt a little bit safer but the other reason was because i was just riding a longboard like i didn't have heaps of strength and function in my leg it was kind of just the purpose of getting back in the water and just standing up and cruising so i i stuck just to a wave like that for a while um and as I was able to get back to surfing, you know, other beaches, waves that were a bit more similar to what I was like, and then eventually having that first surf back at Bombo, the beach where I was bitten at, um, I think once you overcome being able to get past that mental barrier of being able to surf at, you know, the same place, even though, you know, it's all one ocean and, and the fact that they really can be anywhere. I think being able to surf back at Bombo was a big milestone for me. So it took me five months to get back in the water. Um, and then it was probably a month after that before I surfed at Bombo. So probably six months from the attack, I was I was back surfing Bombo. Yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky, you know, in in the physical recovery, like I, well, in, in my entire recovery, I was lucky to have a lot of support. Like I had a great group of friends that organized um, like a, you know, a, a big event for me where, they raised some funds for me to be able to dedicate just to spending time rehabbing so i didn't necessarily have to worry about a nine to five because i could just go and focus on learning to walk again and doing these simple things and i'm really really lucky and really grateful to have had that because i think without that that six month time frame would have been a lot longer and i think that's something that a lot of people do often have to deal with like if you don't have that support around you and and don't have the facilities to to work at a recovery full-time, it, it is going to take longer. Um, and I think that's another thing for me, like because I was just focused on that over time, you know, it did happen quicker than what I thought. Like I I remember a thought that I had when I was in a wheelchair for the first time and I thought to myself, this is going to be me for at least 12 months. So, you know, it even took me by surprise to, to get back in the water and, and do all these things again after, you know, five, six months. It was, it was huge for me. And I think a lot of people watching on, it took them by surprise as well. <laughs> yeah, mum mum didn't like it at all. <laughs> she um she came down to the beach and watched me surf for the first time. Uh, I think dad was dad was very happy to see me get back in the water. Like he's he's you know the person that introduced me to surfing and um like he he grew up surfing in Cronulla his his entire life. So he's he's always been around the water. And I think if I was to completely give away the sport. Not that he'd be disappointed, but that's such a big part of my life that he bought me. Um, and then, like my my mom was was someone that helped me a lot when it came to you know competing and doing stuff like that. So I think, although they, it might have been something that they were a bit timid about me getting back in the water. I think they they wanted me to they wanted to see me regain this this part of my life which I, I thought I'd lost forever. And did you ever have any any sort of thoughts about perhaps chasing the the QS again after 
after the attack, you obviously got back in the water. Well, it's funny, like, there was. There definitely was because I, you know, when I was working towards being able to surf again, like, that was kind of my goal. And then when I got back in the water, like, goal setting for me was such a huge thing through my recovery. And when I'd kind of achieved all the ones, like, the basic ones that were to get me back to, like, work and get me back, you know, driving a car and then and then surfing. Once I ticked all them off, I was like, well, what can I do now to, to kind of keep me on track and make sure I'm still working hard at this recovery? Because it's not like it just finishes, you know, the moment you step in the water. Um, and for me, the next goal was to get barreled. Like I had this this really, you know, I was like, if I can surf again, maybe that means I can get barreled. Like that's the best feeling in the world. Who wouldn't want to do that again? And was able to, you know, shout out to the podcast name there, but um, I was able to to do that again after a while and, and kind of knocked that over. And I was like, well, I wonder if I can get back and surf competitively by, by the end of the year. And um, I surfed in my, just a local board riders event that November and made it to the semifinals and was so happy to not only just, you know, have a, a you know, get back into a, a competition setting, but to have a, a result that, I was proud of like even at, at board riders level was something that I was like I wonder if I can you know try and get back and compete and it's funny like that was something I was I was working at pretty hard over the next couple of months and had ne- hadn't you know looked at competing in the QS or anything like that but had looked at a few other sort of other events up and down the coast just to just to get back into that sort of sort of scene and it was funny like I my scores were better than before. Like my, my my competition surfing was better, and the the reason for that is my surfing actually changed. Like before the attack, my surfing was more progressive focused, so I was definitely more into doing airs and stuff. And my knees will thank me for having a bit of um, a bit of uh, reservation about going to the air now because like not having the strength in my back leg, it's a little bit harder to land and. I just focused on the basics and that actually translated a little bit more to competition surfing. And like I was kind of going towards, you know, this goal of trying to get back to, you know, surfing, well, really to, to chasing that dream. It was, it was really to getting back to where I was the day I got attacked, like, you know, ramping up to, to try and do the QS and, and achieve all these things I wanted to do. And I kind of got back to a point where I was close and I, I took a, a step back and I actually gained a whole heap of perspective and and looked at my entire situation and said well it's amazing that i've been able to get back to this point like it's amazing that i've been able to get back in the water and and do all these other things but i kind of looked at everything and said well if i was to go through all of this and just end up coming out the other side of it the same person what have i actually learned from it like how is it how has it actually benefited me going through this tough time and i actually you know sat down and talked to a few people and, and kind of talked out my story and, and said, you know, I actually might be able to use this to, to help other people who've been going through a tough time or who might, you know, be, be looking at, at a difficult period in life. And I actually realized that I wanted to, to use my story to try and help others rather than just working on myself. And from that point, I, I kind of didn't give up competitive surfing because I still do it from time to time, but gave up that dream of, you know, chasing the QS because I found something that kind of gave me a little bit more purpose and a little bit more uh, something that I was a little bit prouder of in a way. And I know that probably sounds strange to say to other people that that surf because I, I kind of 
found that there's more to life than than just surfing. Like for me, I and I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure if surfers can appreciate this, but surfing is such a, a selfish sport. Like it it's <laughs> out of everything I've done, like it's it is it is a really selfish sport. Like you, you're out there trying to get the best wave, and especially competitive surfing, like. I look back at it and I was like, I've been doing this thing for a long time where I've just been so focused on me. I want to turn that around and, and try and focus on other people and help other people from now on. So that for me, that shift of, of being able to do stuff for me and wanting to do do things for other people was was something that, you know, from that day I've, I've been doing up until now. Yeah, okay. What what's what's the what job do you do at the moment? What 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 what's your current role? Yeah, so I I um I work for a mental health training company um and we do work not only in the community like doing sporting clubs schools but we we work in in the workplace um all over Australia so um that was one thing for me where I kind of had that realization that I wanted to use my story to help others but I didn't really know how um it's not like you can just stand up on a you know a box in town square and just start speaking and expect people to listen to you um like I, I didn't really know how to go about it and I was talking to my physio one day because. For me, my physio was such a big part of my recovery, not just for getting me through the the physical challenge, but he was a massive support to me and, and helped me out mentally a lot, like not only just with the goal setting, but kind of supporting me through the whole process. And I originally thought I wanted to do something like that, you know, be a physio and help other people who've been through major traumas to, to recover and get back to, uh, you know, something like I'd been through. And I was telling him about that and he was like, yeah, that's a great idea, but you've got to go and, you know, do psychology and you've got to go and do um, physio and like it's a long time before you can formally do that he said my my wife's actually working for this company you should check him out and, and see if it's something that might suit you and I had a meeting with the owner of the company I was like this is this is perfect this is exactly what I want to do and when do you think you'll be getting the documentary out for people to have a look at I know that's something that we'll, we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for when when it's released uh not as soon as I would I would hope um there's a few things that are kind of holding it back. Um, number one is, I suppose, with, with COVID and the, the lack of being able to do things simply um, has, has kind of held it up a little bit. But one part of the story that we want to do, um, and I suppose the, the story, it does track the attack. It, it goes through the recovery. But one sort of big theme that, and you can probably tell just by the way I described sort of surfing and getting back to competitions and, and, and all of that. Um, a big theme for me throughout my entire recovery was kind of getting to these points where I'd ask myself like, what next? Like what, what can I do to challenge not only myself, but what's supposed to be possible of me? Like not just in the fact that I was told I'd never surf again and being able to get back in the water, but you know, I was told I'd also you know have a great difficulty walking again and eventually did a hundred kilometer charity walk. Um, so that feeling of, and that idea of challenging, you know, what's next is is the final part of the story that we want to do. And to do that, I want to paddle the Molokai. Wow. Um, so for for those that don't know, it's a 52K open ocean paddle between Molokai and Oahu in Hawaii. Um, so to be able to, to finish off the movie, um, we've got to do that. And that was cancelled this year because of COVID. So we're hoping next year um, we'll be able to go over and, and compete in that and hopefully finish Have it. Have you reached out to uh, Jamie Mitchell? I believe he's done that a few times. Yeah, there's, um, I've got a couple of good people. I haven't reached out to Jamie um, himself. Uh, I'm lucky that I'm, I'm pretty good mates with Wes Berg, who's done it a couple of times, um, and also Cam Coglin, who's who's won it a few times and, and done it as well. So 
Um, there's some. There's actually a really cool um, paddling community over on the east coast kit here um, like a lot of guys up in Sydney do it and do these big downwinders down the coast so there's a, a, a pretty good group of guys over here to train with and to, to help out with being able to get over there and get set up and actually do the race because it's a lot it's a lot more complicated than just saying I want to go do that and doing it <laughs> I've found okay the big question on everyone's mind it's been a big topic of discussion here and in a lot of places lately. What are your thoughts on the new format for the Wazzle moving forward with the uh, mid-year cutoff and all of that sort of thing? I think it's always going to cause some sort of contention, isn't it? Like <laughs> every time they, they do make those changes, like I, I still watch as, as much competitive surfing as as I can as long as it's not in a wave pool. <laughs> that's that's my, my personal feeling anyway. Um, the... I, th- I don't know. I think you could easily look back to the last time they had a mid-year cutoff and, and see how that worked out, and there's probably a reason they went away from it. But they, they've got to do something to, to make it more exciting. Like I, I've always compared surfing to other sports, and look, surfing is so unique in, in what it is and what it provides. But for the WSL to be successful, it needs to have a way better commercial model. And I think that's exposed no clearer than at the Olympics where if you're watching the TV coverage, like – you, you watch any other sport and, you know, you can actually tune in, watch something. It's got action. It's got excitement, except for maybe like the the marathon or the marathon walk. Um, and like all these other sports and these other events, it's it's a lot easier to, to watch and digest. Like even if you're watching a heat of your favorite surfer, you're spending a lot of time watching them bob up and down. And I suppose the answer to that probably is the wave pool. Um, but then you lose so much out of the solar sport. So it's, it's something that I think is it's a tough position for the WSL to be in to try and do something. I like the idea of combining the the two tours um, and kind of just having the, the, you know, as they, they were looking at ages ago, that one world ranking, um, you know, I, I've followed golf for, well, actually since, since the attack. And I've always kind of liked the idea of having those, those majors and, and having more of a perpetual sort of world number one rather than, you know, at the end of the year because that's the other thing if they're doing this kind of showdown finals day thing it kind of what's the point in surfing the rest of the year yeah it's i think there's there's a lot to it like i think um it's probably a good good time no better time to run a surf podcast there's, there's plenty to talk about with, with that sort of thing <laughs> isn't there yeah i thought the well up until like i just had in my mind that the the Tokyo Olympics were meant to be in a pool because the waves were so average, even though they did end up getting swell. Um, I, I think it's comical the fact that for Paris, they've got Tahiti as the, um, as the venue. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's, it's tough. Like, I, I would not want to be. So, we, with the, the speaking and so forth you do, have you got, a, have you got like a, a, a keynote speech or something that you, you put together and you sort of work off that? I do that, that stuff as well. So... Like my, that, I think that's the, the unique thing about my stories. You can frame it in a, in a number of different ways. Like I, I focus a lot of my, my speaking with mental health movement on mental health and kind of that struggle that I went through after the, after the attack and, and trying to regain that purpose and identity and kind of having those tools to be able to work through it and being in that, that dark place and having someone to start that conversation sure. with you. Um, but also I think... The other thing that I've I've really been focusing on a little bit more lately as well, and, and something that is going to be pretty pretty reflective in in the documentary is the fact that 
you know, the, the things that happen to us in life, whether, you know, good, bad, unlucky, unfortunate, like unfair, it's one thing I realized through through the shark attack, like, you know, through the odds, you know, one in 3.6 million, it's it's something that it's so easy to to sit there and be defined by by something like that. And look, I, I always will acknowledge the fact that people find a shark attack interesting and exciting to talk about and like I'm totally fine talking about it and it's an important part of my story and and why I have learned all the things that I have but for me I I do really like to focus on the fact that it's not necessarily what happened to you it's what you do afterwards to bounce back um so and when when I look at doing sort of the keynote and that it's it's what worked for me to get through a shark attack and that's the thing about being bitten by a shark and going through these these things in life is that it doesn't have to be a shark attack um you know everyone goes through through stuff on on a daily basis but it's not about what happens to you it's it really is about what you do to to get back to a point of you know not only not only getting through it but also trying to grow as a result of of what you go through and and that's something that you know, for, for me personally, I, I like to put a lot of focus on because I think it's it's very easy to forget about that that side of, you know the, what you know the story like, and that's the thing. Like I, I appreciate with the questions that you've asked today, like you, you've you've focused on that recovery and and a lot of the things that have come afterwards, where a lot of people just get so focused on on the attack itself, and it's um it's very easy to do, but there's there's so much more to it. And where can people reach you in terms of you know, social media and um, I guess your emails and and websites, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I've um, I mean, I'm pretty easy to contact. I think. Um, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be everywhere as far as social media goes, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or you know, even even TikTok for those those younger people out there. <laughs> um, but uh, but look, I'll I'll. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not on it for the dancing, but I might have to get some lessons before I uh, break down those bar- barriers. Um, I'm pretty easy to contact though, like through through any DM or you can. I've got a website which has my email and stuff on it, so um, quite easy to contact through a lot of those things there. But one one thing that I I realized pretty early on, like it, I I never really wanted to get into helping people for you know the sake of business opportunities and things like that, although. It's nice to be able to, you know, have make a living off sharing my story. One big thing I learned early on is I was so lucky for the support that I had through my recovery, and you know, for me to look at some of the messages I got and some of the, you know, the people that reached out to me providing support, um, taking a bit of time out of your day to respond to something that someone sent to you is is incredibly powerful. So, you know, anyone that does reach out to me, um, I, I always take, you know, take the time to hopefully give everyone you know that that little bit of something that that can you know help answer whatever question they've got or you know a, a number of things they may be going through like i i want to as a result of my story try and help as many people as possible and i think that's that that purpose and and that identity that i've kind of gained out of out of what i've been yeah. through no thanks thanks for having me on it's um so it's always good to be able to share my story if um if you do need someone to to rant about the WSL and wave pools in the future, I'm. Uh, <laughs> Mate, we'll have you back. Have you back I'm, I'm sure. sure there's no there's no real shortage of people like that. But <laughs> okay, Brett Canellan, you're an absolute champion. Thank you so much for joining us on Barrel Surf Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
having a chat with you and um, all the best for the future. And we look forward to uh, catching up with you again to have a chat about, uh, you know, future Wazzle and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing the doco when it comes out. Thanks, mate. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I hope to be back. Cheers. Well, there you go, Brett Canellan. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for listening to us, Barrel Surf Podcast. Really appreciate the fact that uh, you listen to a bunch of three hacks in a shed every every week or two. And uh, thanks very much to Cheeky Monkey for your ongoing support. We'll catch you next time on Barrel Surf Podcast. Cheers for now. Cheers.